Opening our Bibles to the uh, book of Acts, chapter 16. <clears throat> okay, uh, yeah, I hate to break up fellowship. I know it's fun and exciting and cool to connect with people. <clears throat> um, and sometimes, you know, in fellowship, uh, Acts chapter 16 is where we are. Sometimes in fellowship, uh, you just get in conversations with people and you get like super discipled. Not even, uninten- not even intentionally. Like, I just had that today. So, one of my neighbors is here, and, uh, and she's been living in her house, like three doors down from me, for four years. And guess what? I've never met her before. Oh, that's horrible. I'm so convicted. What kind of a Christian am I? Uh, my neighbors, who I'm supposed to love, right? Uh, I don't even know. Four doors, just four years. I was like, oh, she must have just moved in. No, I've lived there for four years. Uh, okay, let's just move right into communion so I can confess all my sins. All right, okay. How's everyone doing? We doing good? Excited about studying the Word of God today? Amen. I'm uh, so excited about this message you know, uh, John Wesley once said, who is an amazing preacher, he said, uh, I just get myself lit on fire by the Holy Spirit, and then when I preach, people just watch me burn. And I feel a little bit that way today. The Spirit has just lit me on fire uh, with this message. And, uh, um, you know, let's, let's all uh, join us together, Amen. And you can watch, not me, but the Word of God burn in our hearts to refine out the things that need to be refining, to strengthen the things that need to be strengthened, and uh, to inspire us to really uh, follow Jesus all the more. Okay, we're um, walking through the book of Acts. Ordinary to emboldened is our theme. It's one of the main themes in the book of Acts. We see the Holy Spirit come on and in the disciples and literally light them on fire, uh, and they're emboldened and empowered, uh, not for their own sake, though, but for the Spirit's power to work in and through them. Today, we're, the title of our message is Spirit-Empowered Faith. We're going to be thinking <clears throat> and talking about faith today, our faith. So whether you've been around God and believed in God for 80 years, or whether maybe this is one of your first times really seriously considering God, the issue is always going to be our faith, where our faith is at, and we always will have so far to go and much room to grow in our faith. Now, I'm going to start today with a little story. You guys like stories? I'm going to start today with a little story, Sadie, if you could put that first picture up. So the other day, I attempted to put in a transition strip. So we did, worked on some floor, we did some laminate flooring. We, as in Chris Moose and I, mainly Chris Moose, uh, put in some flooring. And, you know, when you put in a floor and you have different, like a carpet or whatever, you got to put a, what's called a transition strip down, right? You with me so far? And it transitions smoothly from the carpet to the laminate, all right? So usually you put a transition strip into wood and it just goes real easy, right? Well, this flooring that we were putting this into was cement. 
And if you've ever, who's tried to put a transition strip into cement before? A few of us, okay? Um, what I found quickly, so this is the picture of my drill. It's not my personal drill, but that's the kind of drill I have. And DeWalt is a good, it's a good drill, right? And, uh, um, and then I thought, you know what? I can't just use a normal bit, right? Because I'm a smart guy. You got to use a masonry bit. Amen? So far, so good, right? So I get my masonry bit. I think, man, I'm so prepared because I'm, you know, Mr. Fix-It Handyman. Uh, and I, I'm going to just rip this transition strip out and, then, and it's going to be, uh, or put it in, and it's going to be no problem, right? And so I get to, and it's like going nowhere. And, and I start to look at all the holes, that I was supposed to say, really, why did they have to put the holes that far apart? Couldn't they be like that far apart? And I, and I just, and I'm, and so I, oh, I just need more weight. So I get up there, put all my weight on it, and here comes one little dust of cement. I'm like, oh, there's one bit, but I know bits break. So I got two bits. And I'm sitting on that thing, pressing and pounding that thing for, I don't know, it's like five minutes, and I, all I have to drill is a little hole about that deep into the cement, and it's fine, I'm like, and, and my body hurts, and my muscles are already aching, and I'm like starting to get an attitude, right? Like, this is ridiculous. My knees hurt, and I'm like, this is supposed to be a masonry bit. You know, what's wrong with this thing? And I say, who made this? You know, I'm going to give him a comment. You know, and, and all this kind of attitude, right? And so then, you know, when, you're, when you reach kind of a ceiling, what's one thing that's good to do? Seek advice. So I have a few people around me that are even more awesome at handiwork. Obviously, if you can't tell right now, I'm being sarcastic because I'm really not obviously that good at handiwork. So I call up Jared and he's like, well, what kind of drill are you using? I'm like, I got my DeWalt drill, man. It's supposed to be good. I pay like $200 for this dumb drill. Uh, um, and he starts chuckling. <laughs> you, know how, you know how people who are really good at something listen to novices and they're like, <laughs> okay, well, um, you're using the wrong drill. I'm like, what do you mean? It rotates really fast? He's like... <laughs> You gotta have a hammer drill. I'm like, well, this thing says maybe it has an option. He's like, mm mm. He's like, yeah, I, I got one. And so I thought about, well, maybe I should go buy one. He's like, ah, you can just borrow mine. I'm like, oh, awesome. Thank you. Uh, and so uh, show the next picture. So then I go to Jared's house and I see this bad boy. <laughs> and I'm like, all of a sudden, I'm getting encouraged. I'm like, man, and, I, and, and, and even the name of it, I looked up the Google, it's like Bosch Bulldog, you know, like they have all these masculine, tough names to it, and I'm like, yeah, and it's masonry, it's made for this, and I went back, and I'm kind of prepared this time, I've, I've learned my lessons, I've lots of time, carved out, my attitude is better, I got a number of bits laid out, and I get on this thing, and I'm like, and it's like, I'm like, what just happened? And I'm like, maybe there's a weak spot in the cement. Next one, I'm like, 
now I'm like really ticked, okay? <laughs> so I'm like, I just spent a Saturday and my body hurts and my attitude hurts and my knees hurt and my heart hurts. And I just so, and it, and it was just like, I felt like the voice of God, son, listen to me. You can't do this job with the wrong tools. And I'm like, hmm, I think there's a lesson. You know, a lot of times in life, we can feel like that first attempt at the cement, right? And we think we got it, we think we got it going on, but then we hit like a roadblock. We hit like a ceiling. We hit like some frustration, and it's not going the way we thought. And it's turning out like this is hard, right? And we start aching and belly moaning and whining and say, God, where are you? And the Word of God, I thought this was supposed to bring joy, but now I feel dryness and all kinds of things. And what God's saying is the issue is, Man, sometimes you need different tool. You need more power. You need something designed for this new stage of life. And that's a reflection of faith, that we reach different ceilings at different points in our lives, and God is still in control, and He's calling us to a deeper level of faith. Amen? We can no longer use this rotary drill, but we need the bulldog faith. We need the Bosch Bulldog, you know, hammer drill. It's time. And we all reach different points in this. And I think here in Acts 16, we see Paul and Silas. And we see an amazing example of their faith. Their faith in God. Things have been going pretty good here for a little while. And then some things happen. And if, if I was in this situation, I would have responded so differently than they responded and it reveals their faith versus my faith. And I hope today that we can learn something. The Spirit can move to convict us, inspire us about where are we in our faith. Amen? And how can we get hit, go, drive through that cement wall? Uh, not through our own strength, but through the power of the Spirit. Amen? So the title of the, or the points, our points today is Faithful Messengers, Faithful to the Message, in faithful response. We're going to be looking at the second half of Acts chapter 16. So, so far, um, let me just catch us up to speed. If we could go to the map. So last week we, we looked at, Paul has started the second missionary journey. We started this last week, coming from Antioch. And we see him traveling back to Derby and Iconium and Lystra where they went before. Uh, but Spirit, again, is calling them farther, calling them beyond where they're comfortable, like all of us, right? And they try to get into Asia, but it says the Spirit of God would not allow them to. And then they tried to get into Bithynia up north, and they, the Spirit of God also shut the door there. So we talked about how God guides and God, God's providence guides us. And I just want to remind us of those principles, that God's providential guidance is both negative positive. Sometimes God shuts doors on purpose and then opens doors. So God's guidance is both circumstantial and rational. Sometimes there's circumstances are lining up in our life that seem to be pointing a certain direction. But they're also rational. We think these things through, and that's what we saw here in Acts 16. 
God's guidance is personal, but also corporate. In other words, God guides us individually through His Spirit, through His Word, but also in community, also in community where we bounce off each other ideas and our thoughts and our feelings to make sure that we're not led just by our own flesh or what we think is God, but we're led in community with the Spirit uh, with one another. Amen? Does that make sense? Okay. And so we see then, after God opened and shut these doors and opened these doors, we see Lydia become a disciple. Now we're going to read about the jailer becoming a disciple. And we see now more why God was opening and closing those doors in retrospect. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's read. So Lydia became a disciple, and we're going to start in Acts 16, um, verse 15. It says, and when she, and I'm reading from the New American Standard Version, when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay, and she prevailed us. It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out saying, these men are bond servants of the most high God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. I love this. I love this about the Bible's heroes because it paints them as normal human beings. I mean, if you had someone following you, probably you know, Kevin Nance is proclaiming to you the way of salvation. At first, it's like, hey, thanks for the marketing, right? You know, uh, appreciate the encouragement. After a while, Kevin Nance is proclaiming to you the way of salvation, you know, day after day, hour after hour. After a while, Kevin's, you know, as patient and as kind and as gentle as Kevin is, right? After a while, it's like, stop it! And you can just say, in the name of Jesus, come out of you! <laughs> yeah, right? And it's like, oh, sorry, the Spirit came out of her. And so, uh, you know, greatly annoyed, uh, just like you and I get, just like that cement drill bit. Oh, and then I just down some curses probably on that cement. Uh, anyways, it says, but when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Saul, Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion. Really? Is that, what, that really is what their issue is? Being Jews, so appealing to the uh, anti-Semitism, being Jews and our proclaiming custom, which is not lawful for us to accept or to observe being Romans. So they're appealing to uh, Romans love order, law and order, okay? And they, they don't like the Jews very much. They'll pacify them in order to, to keep law in order. Okay? It says, Then the crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. 
When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Okay, so at this point, boy, God's opening the door. Lydia, this amazing person of peace, she becomes a disciple. She hosts us. Um, she feeds us. Now we got a place to stay. The church is starting, and there's more people coming. And uh, this slave girl is, you know, bringing more people and advertising our message and all this kind of thing. And then Paul makes a mistake, probably. He makes a mistake. And the, the demon is driven out, and the owners are like, now we can't make a profit anymore. And they accuse them because they're not happy. And all, the whole crowd gets stirred up. And, they, and without a trial, without a hearing, they get completely and unjustly beaten with rods. A terrible beating. And I can just picture Paul and Silas there being beaten. And part of me thinks that Silas may have looked over at Paul. Really? Like, where's Barnabas right now? <laughs> what did I sign up for, right? But that's how sometimes we think being a Christian is all full of joy and peace and happiness. Oh, it'll make my life easy and all this kind of stuff. And then God puts us through some suffering and some hardships. And we may start to think, really? I don't know if this is what I signed up for. But listen to how they respond. Verse 25, but about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. Excuse me? What, what just happened there? Praying and singing hymns of praise in the middle of prison with everything going horribly? What is that? That's faith. That's faith. And the prisoners were listening to them. Very important point. And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone in chains were unfastened. Does this sound familiar? Does this sound familiar? Acts chapter 4, the people of God come together to pray and they pray for boldness. And what happens? The ground was shaken. Acts chapter 12, and Peter's in prison. The people of God come together and pray. And what happens? An angel comes, frees Peter from prison. You picking up on a pattern? When we respond to hardship with faith, God responds and moves in an awesome way. Amen? It says, uh, um, but, but again, it's just not Paul and Silas. There's, God is working here and the people around them. Uh, when, the, when the prison doors awoke and saw the, excuse me, when the jailer awoke, and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword, was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Now, this isn't an act of, um, you know, discouragement and depression. This Roman jailer is probably a retired Roman soldier. And so what happens with a Roman jailer is if your prisoner that you're responsible for escapes, then the, 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 the uh, um, sentence comes onto you. So it's a system of justice and accountability and integrity. So the Roman isn't acting in discouragement. He's acting in honor, actually, and in great integrity. Because he's about to say, all these prisoners escape. This is my responsibility. And now justice needs to come. And he's executing 
justice on his own self instead of waiting to try to not be found out or trying to flee himself, etc. This is a man of great integrity. You know, it's always better when, when we struggle. It's always better to turn ourselves in than to wait to be caught. You with me there? My tendency is to, did anybody, anybody see? Oh, I don't think anyone saw. And I'm still alive, so maybe it's okay, right? That's why our flesh. No, it always goes better when I say, you know what? God, I'm sorry I confess my iniquity. Brothers, I'm sorry. Honey, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't, I'm not going to wait to get caught. I'm going to turn myself in in humility, in brokenness. That was the heart of this guy. But, verse 28, but call, Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, do not harm yourself. We are all here. Wait a second, all? Paul's not saying him and Silas. All the murderers, all the robbers, all the, all the thieves, all the prisoners who probably weren't, we don't, weren't disciples. They were so impacted by Paul and Silas's faith, probably, that they stayed even when they had a chance to flee. Something miraculous is happening here. Would you say not? Um, it says, and he called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he had brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. He's a Roman, retired Roman soldier who has been his Lord his whole life. Caesar is Lord. Who has he laid his life down for? Who has he taken, uh, uh, um, you know, beat, you know, etc.? Who has he served? And now is he, Jesus, Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. Radically changed his whole life with that one word, the Lord Jesus. And you will be saved, you and your, and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him, together with all who were in his house. And he took them at very hour of the night and washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized, he and his whole household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. Now when they came, the chief magistrates sent their policemen, saying, release those men. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, the chief magistrates has sent to release you. Therefore, come out now and go in peace." But Paul said to them, excuse me, are you kidding me? See, we think of meekness as, oh, okay, whatever you say. You know, this little pushover that never takes a stand on anything. That's not meekness. Meekness is reverence for the holy word of God. And if something is wrong, it's wrong. All right? And so Paul says, no, 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 this is wrong. And there's going to be some justice around here. He says, uh, um, uh, uh, where are we? 37. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us in public without trial, men who are Romans, and have thrown us into prison, and now they are sending us away secretly? No, indeed. But let them come themselves and bring us out. The policemen reported these words to the chief magistrates. They were afraid when they heard that they were Romans, and they came and appealed to them. And when they had brought them out, to leave the city. They went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they saw the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Uh, that's quite a 24 hours. Boy, what, what, what an amazing 
time where we see God working in Paul and Silas, in proclaiming the message, being faithful, and in the jailer in his household who responded faithfully to the message. Let's talk about these things um, a little bit, and then we'll take communion. Okay, number one, faithful messengers. Paul and Silas were faithful messengers. You know, our, our faith isn't revealed in just, oh, I believe in God. Our faith is always revealed in what it produces, what comes out of us. And one of the things as, as a Christian that we are responsible for is to deliver God's message faithfully. It's like, oh, that's what you're for. You're the preacher. Uh-uh. No, no, no. Every one of us is called to go make disciples. Amen? Every one of us is called to be a light and a salt of the earth, to, to share our faith to be an example, etc., etc., faithful messengers. So it's going great. Lydia becomes a disciple. Paul has moment of weakness. Falsely accused, beat, arrested, beaten unjustly, thrown in prison, and yet they're praying and singing hymns to God. How did that happen? You know, we see something so out of the ordinary like this. First of all, it's helpful. It humbles us to compare ourselves to how probably we would have responded. And I don't know about you, when I look at that, I'm like, well, I guess, I mean, I don't even like being looked at weird. And I get all, right? Lest someone accuse you of, how about, how do you feel when you feel disrespected? Or your motives are called into question? Or my family, if someone messes with my kids, right? Or the church, someone badmouths the church. I'm just like, you know, let, let's roll, right? And these guys are beaten in with rods and terribly, and yet they're praying and singing hymns to God. What is in their mind? What was in their mind that led them to that faith? What was in their faith that led them to their, their right minds? Uh, I thought a lot about this and, and asked actually a number of people about this. It was really, really cool. Here's, here's some of the things. Number one, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. And how did Jesus respond to this to similar things happening to him. You remember how he was on the cross? How was he? Complaining, arguing, this is unjust. Uh, hey, they're the, they're the robbers. They deserve this. I don't. I've never sinned my whole life. You or I couldn't say that, but he could. And how did he respond? Father, forgive them. They know not one. His response to hardship and pain was so amazing that the centurion who put him up on the cross by the time the whole ordeal was like, he is the son of God, no doubt. I wonder how our response to hardship in life, what that communicates to the people around us. The spirit of Jesus was in him. Secondly, the example of Peter and the other apostles. Remember that they did in Acts chapter 4, when they were beaten in a similar fashion, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. They rejoiced. They counted it as, this is a victory. This is amazing. Either Silas was either there or he heard about it. Okay? And Paul, of course, heard of who did Whom did Paul witness being martyred for his faith? Stephen, right? Acts chapter 7. And how did Stephen respond? Just like Jesus, because he had the spirit of Jesus in him. Okay, so Paul and Silas had this modeled, their example. You know, our example, uh, we learned faith 
from the example of the people around us. So therefore, how is our example as a church in being the church? How is our example as a dad, the dads amongst us? If your children imitate your faith, how will they be doing? Amen? And we want to, you know, I wish my wife would respect us more. You know what? Be more worthy of respect. She'll probably respect you more. Now, having said that, wives, don't be like, yeah, preach it, bro. Give my husband be more worthy of respect. That's what I've been telling him all along. You know what? You're a dripping faucet and a leak on a roof, and they'd rather live on a corner of roof than you. That's what the Proverbs say. Corner of a roof. That came out fast. Get that? Okay? So let's all just focus on ourselves and where, where we're at versus getting all high and mighty to everyone else. Okay? The example. The convictions of Paul. Okay, I want to read this. This was just, there's so much of Paul's epistles that we could read that unveil his mind in situations like this. But I, I had to choose one, so I just want to read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 through 11. This is maybe some of the things in his faith. See, we've got to, when we, we've got to examine our faith. We've got to examine our thoughts. What do I believe about God? What do I believe about life? What do I believe about myself? What do I believe about the Bible? Um, Paul says here, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3, when speaking of suffering and what it produces in him. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, in God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance. Wait a second. I just wanted the blessings of Christ. You only heard half a gospel. The sufferings of Christ will overflow as much as the blessings. As a matter of fact, we've got to get to a point where we see them as a blessing. Also, our comfort in abundance through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same suffering which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively, beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. In other words, to say, man, this was, it, was, it got hard. I was discouraged, really discouraged. I didn't even know if I wanted to carry on. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that, why? Why, how can we view suffering in our lives is a blessing right here, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us. See, Paul's faith was built through this experience in Acts. He's like, you know what? God delivered Peter. God delivered me over and over again, because God is a deliverer. How do you think he learned that? Through being delivered. But you can't get delivered until you get in trouble. Okay? 
and he will deliver us. You also, um, excuse me, uh, verse 10, who delivered us from such a great peril of death and will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope. See, all of us naturally rely on ourselves. We rely on, on our hope is in ourselves until we get to the end of ourselves. And then at that point, either we get super discouraged or we go to God and learn how to trust and rely on him, not ourselves. And that's an incredible place of freedom. And he will yet deliver us, you also joining and helping us by, through your prayers, so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. i got to speed this up a little bit. Uh, incredible convictions. Paul saw suffering. The convictions he had through suffering were, number one, there's purpose in it. Number two, it made him rely on God, not himself. And that re- shows mostly in prayer. There's comfort in it. God will come through with the comfort needed if we go to him. Number four, there's joy in it. There's actual joy in surrender. You know, Philippians 2.14 says, do everything without complaining or arguing, right? Do everything without, that's one of the most oft-quoted verses in our household. Do everything without complaining or arguing. I've probably misused that scripture, actually, a little bit. Because it says, so that you may shine like stars in the universe. Because Paul and Silas didn't complain, they didn't argue, they didn't moan about how hard it was, the universe around them took notice. There's something different about these guys, right? And then when the thing, everything came apart, they stayed because they wanted to follow their faith. And the jailer's freaking out, we have to kill himself. Stop! And he says, come, what must I do to be saved? What made them come? What made them even think that is because of the way they lived through suffering, through pain, through hardship. Okay, faithful messengers. Number two, faithful message. The way to be saved. I'm going to talk about the way to be saved a little bit, okay? Because the Bible says all, this is the way to be saved. That little girl was like, they're telling you the way to be saved, okay? And so we see here the way to be saved. What is... They answered the school. What's they do to be saved? They said, believe. Okay? Belief. Belief. Okay? Belief is one of the foundations. Okay? But, but what's happened over time is minimalists have, have taken a, a, a verse like John 3.16. It says, whoever believes that you shall be saved. They, they take that out of context and they make that their whole message. Okay? And you've got to separate, therefore, belief from all kinds of repentance or baptism, or lordship, or, or, or changing your life, etc. And they said, if you just believe, you're saved by grace, and you're good to go. And once you believe, you can never lose your faith. So therefore, all these other things are kind of nice ideas. Okay? That's, that's not what the scriptures say. Okay? I want to talk about, he says, believe, and then it says, they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all those who were in the house. So they communicated the full message. They communicated the gospel, all right? Um, and that includes uh, Mark chapter 16, verse 15 and 16. says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Okay, Acts 2.38 says, whoever repents and is baptized. Okay, does that make sense? Romans 10.9 says, whoever believes and confesses Jesus as Lord. All right? So wait a second. I see repentance... In salvation. But 
John 3.16 didn't say repent, just said believe. So what should I do? You've you got to take the whole message. Well, wait a second. Acts 2.38 said repent, be baptized. didn't say anything about belief, so I guess believe I don't have to do it. If we read the Bible thinking what do we don't have to do, we're not reading it the right way. Okay? Uh, um, Romans 10.9, believe and confess, but it doesn't say anything about repentance or baptism. I guess those are options. How about we take the whole message and put it together and let it say what it says? I want to show you a chart here. So far, we haven't uh, looked, talked about this too much in the book of Acts, but I want to show you a chart of the conversions in the book of Acts. And the reason why the book of Acts is important when it comes to how to be, how to be saved, which, by the way, is a very important issue in your life. Amen? So if you've tuned out a little bit so far, you need to tune in. The World Cup, will, you'll know who won when you get done with church. Okay? The reason the book of Acts is important is because until Jesus had died, buried, and resurrected, it was the old covenant. The book of Acts teaches us how to be saved in the new covenant, which is the era in which we are in until Jesus returns. Does that make sense? So in Acts 2, it says this promise, this covenant is for you, for your children, and all who are far off. And from this point on until Jesus returns, this is how to be saved. This is how to... Wash your sins away. This is how to receive the Spirit, the things connected to salvation. Okay? So what the Bible teaches, so here we see, we need to hear every conversion in the book of Acts, they hear the Word of God. Someone comes and teaches them and shares with them and preaches with them. That's why it's so important for us, number one, to be shared with and taught continuously and to share with and teach others. If you're all just getting taught and you're not teaching others, you're missing a big part of the point. If you're all just teaching others but no one's teaching you, you're, you're dangerous. Because who's holding you accountable and continuing to help you mature? Well, I just got this hotline to God. You scare me, okay? You scare me. Because that's not how it works. It works with God and in community. Amen? I never want to get to a point in my life where I have no one overseeing, instructing, challenging, teaching me. I hope you feel that way as well. So you got to hear the message, all right? Belief is in how to respond to the gospel, amen? Repentance is taught and implied there, confessing Jesus as Lord. And look, being baptized. Hmm, well, that was just a one-time thing, that whole baptism thing. Let's just marginalize that and leave it later because it's really not that big a deal in the Bible. Where's my pointer? <laughs> Looks like kind of a big deal. Matter of fact, there is no place in the Bible where baptism is not connected to salvation, either through example or through teaching. Every single word connected with baptism has to do with forgiveness of sins, being saved, added to their number, washed away, the spirit, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, on and on and on again. Are you with me there? So why do we have to separate the gospel message out? Because I think over time we want it easier and easier with less and less commitment and expectation that I actually have to change my life. And this is the way I lived for 20 years. I wanted to be a Christian. I didn't want to go, but I certainly didn't want to stop being impure. I didn't want to stop sleeping with 
I didn't want to uh, stop lying and cheating at school. I didn't want to stop people-pleasing and everything. Are you with me? I wanted my cake and eat it too. Or I wanted to be not, not going to hell, but I wanted to not you know, stand out too much because I didn't want to be a Bible freak. Okay, so here's some common things I want to deal with forthrightly. Believer's baptism. Believer's baptism is a common thing taught today where you believe and become a Christian, and then repentance and lordship and especially baptism is something for later on. Listen, if that was true, then why in the middle of the night did they get baptized? There's not an answer for that. You know, churches that do baptism uh, uh, services once a year, unbiblical, because that's not the way we see it in the scriptures, okay? Um, to... Uh, just call repentance and lordship and discipleship and baptism as sanctification issues is not what the Bible teaches, okay? So believer's baptism, that's what that's called. Another way to, that baptism is taught is through infant baptism, okay? So they highlight the baptism part and do it really quickly, but the hearing and the believing and the repenting and the making Jesus Lord you know what, let's just do all that later. And we let's call that confirmation. Once you're old enough to confirm what should have been there as in, at your baptism. Sounds like maybe an okay idea, but it's false. <laughs> I would love if that was true, but it's not in the Bible. And if you think it's in the Bible, I would love to see where you find it. It's not in there. I would love it to be. But it's not. It's a false teaching. It's a false gospel. And so how about we do this? How about we take hearing the message, believing, repenting, making Jesus Lord, and being baptized. How about we let it say what it says? 1 Peter 3.21 says, be baptized, which saves you also. It says it twice, right there in the same verse. Why don't we just let it say what it says? Because I'll tell you why. Because we're so afraid of thinking that we're going to think we're saved by works of our own merit. But that's not what baptism is. Baptism is a, is a death, a burial, and a resurrection. It is, it is a submission to the grace of God, not an earning of the grace of God. It's never taught as a human work. We've, we've confused Romans and Colossians with the works of the law with works of faith. We are not saved by the works of the law, but we are saved in joining with God in the working of faith. Second Thessalonians 1.8 says uh, to obey the gospel. That means the gospel presents something for you to respond with. We talked about that last week with Acts. So Paul and Silas were faithful to the message. My question for you is, are you faithful to the message? Are you presenting the full and whole message? Are you responding to the full message of God? Or have you taken a part that you like and elevated that over other parts that you're a little more uncomfortable with? You know, I'll share with you an example. Cole is an example. And I asked him if I could share it. I actually asked this time. Not like, can I share this? What are you going to say? No. You got to stop doing that. So... The, the, this was presented that Cole is a strong, brought up, strong infant baptism background. His whole life, very dedicated. 
very sincere, very conscientious, very strong in this. And he came to our church, and he's like, there's something different here, and he studied the Bible. And it was presented to him that he needed to repent of his sins. Amen. He repented. You make Jesus like, I want to follow Jesus, whatever it takes. Amen. I want to do that. You have faith. Amen. I want to do that. He's like, and baptism is something that you do as an adult in combination with your own faith and repentance in making Jesus Lord. And he's like, uh-uh. No, 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 uh-uh. it's not what I not what I understand. And so he came around the church because he loved the church, but he 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 was insistent on that that was the truth. And so we're, the challenge was like, okay, well, just go search it out, study it out. So after about three years, he went, this wasn't letting go of him, okay? And so uh, uh, he got his, his uncle is a, is a denominational minister that teaches that. He got the big book of confessions from him, and he studied it all out, read the whole thing. He's like, man, I don't see this in here. This isn't the truth, okay? And so then he's like, I'm going to do research. And he went and spent $350 at Barnes & Noble getting every single book he could on baptism, on the Spirit, etc. See, that's someone who's seeking the truth no matter what it costs. See, that's someone who's a person of peace right there, right? And guess what? And you know what he said? He said, I set out to prove you guys wrong. (laughs) That was my agenda. And by the way, this is completely independent of any one of us studying with him, or anyone. He's like, i got to seek the truth for myself. And guess what? After, and then his pastor says, you can do a research project on anything. You pick it. And he's like, I'm going to do baptism. Okay? And so he went and researched and researched and researched, and finally he calls. I remember, still remember the message. He's like, Joel, I need to talk to you. I'm like, okay. He's like, I need to get baptized because this is true. This is the Bible. And I said, praise be to God who holds to the truth because the truth rings true and it resonates as right and true and just. Are you with me there? And he got baptized. How about you? Number one, have you bought into an incomplete gospel? I did. So many of us has had. They're so prevalent. Do you have the humility enough to say, you know what, I at least want to seek this out? Do you tremble at the word of God? And so God esteems Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. Or do you think in your own mind, I've already got it figured out. I already got it figured out. So I don't need any help. And I'm really uncomfortable with this message, by the way. Okay? I would just appeal to you. Please let the word of God speak. Amen? Man, I got a whole other point. I can't get to it. We'll, we'll, we'll finish there. Okay. Um, talk about the jailer himself. Jailer was an amazing man. You know what? I'll just finish this. You got nothing else to do anyway. Sorry if that was offensive. I'm sure you do. The jailer was a man of integrity. He feared God. He trembled at the truth. He was vulnerable. He fell at the feet of Paul and Silas. What must I do? This is an older man. This isn't a teenager thinking, oh, I kind of got caught in sin. What should I do? This is an old man. What must I do? He was humble. He asked. He didn't assume he knew. He asked for help. 
he was broken, he washed the same wounds that he imparted on Paul and Silas. Can you imagine what that would do to his heart? Broken before God. He responded immediately. Go study out the word immediately. Go study out the word immediately. Paul uses it all the time in Luke and Acts. And it's immediate healing, immediate healing, immediate healing. He is baptized immediately. What are you waiting for, some of us? You know you need to be baptized. What are you waiting for? Oh, I've got all the time in the world. Really? You really think you got all the time in the world? What if today's the day? How do you know? We presume upon tomorrow. But what if you don't have tomorrow? It's serious business. The way of salvation. Be like the jailer, immediately baptized. He was influential and respected in his home. He was hospitable, and he rejoiced greatly. He rejoiced greatly because all of his household had come to Jesus. Let's go ahead and prepare for communion. Okay, I'm done. Are you weary? Are you losing heart? Are you discouraged? Are you like me with that stinking transition strip? You know what? Time to transition to faith. Time to transition to faith. Amen? Give it up to God. Let's decide today as we focus on Jesus in communion. Let's make some decisions. I'm going to be a faithful messenger. I'm not going to hold back. I'm going to be faithful to the message. I'm not going to compromise or change it. And I'm going to respond in faith immediately. Let's pray.